This is from the end of a new translation of the story of Siddhartha by Herman Hesse. There slowly bloomed and ripened in Siddhartha the realization and knowledge of what wisdom this, the object of his long quest really was. It was nothing more than a readiness of the soul, a mysterious knack, the ability at every moment in the midst of life to sink the thought of unity, to feel and breathe unity. Gradually, this blossomed in him, shown back to him from the ancient child's face of Vasudeva. Harmony, knowledge of the eternal perfection of the world, unity, a smile. But the wound still burned. Passionately and bitterly, Siddhartha dwelled on his son, nurtured the love and tenderness in his heart, let the pain of it consume him, indulge him in all the foolishness of love. This was not a flame that went out by itself. One day, when the wound was burning fiercely, Siddhartha crossed the river, driven by longing. He climbed out of the boat, intending to go to the city and look for his son. The river was flowing gently and quietly. It was the dry season, but there was something unusual about its voice. It was laughing. It was clearly laughing. was laughing, laughing loudly and plainly at the old ferryman. Siddhartha stopped, bent over the water to hear better, and in the quietly moving water he saw the reflection of his face. In this reflected face there was something that recalled something forgotten, and as he thought about it he remembered. This face was like another face he had once known and loved and also feared. It resembled the face of his father, the Brahmin. And he remembered how, long ago as a youth, he had forced his father to let him go with the ascetics. How he had left him, gone off, and never returned. Had his father not felt the same pain over him that he now felt over his son? Had his father not long since died, alone, without having ever seen his son again? Should he not expect the same fate himself? Was it not comical, a strange and stupid thing, this repetition, this movement in the same fateful circle? The river laughed, 
Yes, so it was. Everything returned that had not been suffered through to the end and resolved. The same pains were always suffered again. Siddhartha got back in the boat and rowed back to the hut, thinking of his father and of his son, with the river laughing at him, tending in his mind toward despair and tending not less toward joining in the laughter at himself and the whole world. was still fighting his fate. Cheerfulness and victory had yet to shine forth from his chagrin, but he felt hope. And when he got back to the hut, he had an indomitable longing to open himself to Vasudeva, to expose everything to that master of listening, to tell him everything. Vasudeva was sitting in the hut, weaving a basket. He no longer worked the boat. His eyes had begun to get weak, and his arms and hands, too. All that remained unchanged, still glowing, was the joy and cheerful goodwill in his face. Siddhartha sat down by the old man and slowly began talking, things that they had never talked about he talked about now, about the time he had gone back to the city, about the burning wound, about his jealousy when he saw happy fathers, about knowing better about such desires and yet struggling in vain against them. He described everything, he was able to say everything, even the most awkward things. He was able to say everything expose everything, recount everything. He described his wounds, told about the events of the day, how he had crossed the river like a runaway child intending to go to the city, and how the river had laughed. he spoke and he went on for a long time. Vasudeva listened to him with his face still, and Siddhartha felt more than ever the power of Vasudeva's listening. He felt his pains and anxieties going over to him, crossing over and coming back from the other side. Exposing his wound to this listener was the same as bathing it in the river until it was cooled and became one with the water. As he went on speaking, continuing to unbosom and confess himself, Siddhartha felt more and more that it was no longer Vasudeva, no longer a person who was listening to him, that this unmoving listener soaking up his confession into himself as a tree draws in rain, this motionless being was the river itself, God himself, the eternal itself. And when Siddhartha stopped thinking about himself and his wound, the knowledge of Vasudeva's changed nature took possession of him. 
And the more he felt it and penetrated into it, the more wondrous it became, the more he realized that everything was in order, was natural. And he realized that Vasudeva had been that way for a long time, almost always. It was only he who had not completely recognized it. And yes, he realized that he himself hardly differed from Vasudeva anymore. He had the impression that he was now seeing old Vasudeva the way ordinary people see the gods, and that this was not something that could last. He began to take leave of Vasudeva in his heart, and all the while he went on talking. When Siddhartha had talked himself out, Vasudeva turned his kindly, now weakened gaze on him, and without speaking, silently radiated love and cheerfulness to him, radiated understanding and wisdom. He took Siddhartha by the hand, led him to the seat on the riverbank, sat down with him at the river, smiling. You have heard him laugh, he said, but you have not heard everything. Let's listen. You will hear more. Siddhartha and Vasudeva listened. Suddenly came the many-voiced song of the river. Siddhartha looked into it, and in the moving water, images appeared to him. His father appeared alone, mourning for his son. He himself appeared alone, also tied with bonds of longing to his faraway son. His son appeared, also alone lusting stormily along the burning pathway of his youthful desires. Each was bent on his object, each possessed by his object, each suffered. The river sang with a voice of suffering. Passionately it sang. Passionately, it flowed towards its goal, its voice lamenting. Do you hear? asked Vasudeva's mute glance. Siddhartha nodded. 
Listen closer with, with Vasudeva. Siddhartha made the effort to listen closer. The image of his father, his own image, the image of his son flowed into one another. Kamala's image also appeared and dissolved. Govinda's image and other images appeared and fused with one another and all became the river, all moved as the river towards their object, their goals, passionate, hungering, suffering. And the river's voice was full of longing, ardent with sorrow, full of un unquenchable longing. The river strove toward its, toward its goal. Siddhartha saw it hurrying on, this river composed of himself and those near him, and of all the people he had ever seen. All the waves and currents hurried onward, suffering toward objects, many goals. The waterfall, the lake, the rapids, the sea, and all the goals were reached. And each was followed by a new one. And the water became vapor and climbed into the sky, became rain and crashed down from the sky, became springs, broke, became a river, drove on again, flowed anew, but the passionate voice had changed. It still had the sound of suffering, questing, but other voices were added. Voices of joy and suffering, good and evil voices, laughing and lamenting voices, a hundred, a thousand voices. Siddhartha listened. Now all listener, completely one with listening, completely empty, completely receptive. He felt now that he had completed his learning of how to listen. He had often heard all these things before, these many voices in the river, but today he heard it in a new way. Now he no longer distinguished the many voices, the happy from the grieving, the childlike from the manly, they were all part of each other. Longing laments, the laughter of the wise, the cries of the angry, the moans of the dying, all were one. All were interwoven and linked, intertwined in a thousand ways. And everything together, all the voices, all the goals, all the striving, all the suffering, all the pleasure, Everything together was the river of what is, the music of life. And when Siddhartha listened attentively to the thousandfold song of the river, when he did not fasten on the suffering or the laughing, when he did not attach his mind to one voice and become involved in it with his ego, when he listened to all of them, the whole, when he perceived the unity, then the great song of a thousand voices formed one single word, Om, Perfection.
This is the sutta spoken by Ananda, disciple of the Buddha. Do not think of the past, do not worry about the future. Things of the past have died, the future has not arrived. What is happening in the present should be observed deeply. The wise ones live according to this and dwell in stability and freedom. If one practices the teachings of the wise one, why should one be afraid of death? If we do not understand this, there is no way to avoid the great pain of the final danger. To practice diligently, one should recite this gatha.
This is a reflection of Thomas Merton. It's a prayer, one of a series of prayers written in the Christian tradition that are called prayers of abandonment, prayers of letting know of a sense of what comes next. We move now into that part of the year where the days are shorter and darker. I like to think that that echoes the work of the heart and the soul in turning inward and using this as a particular time of reflection, reflection in the dark, waiting for the light, waiting for the outer light as the earth turns in its predictable and trustworthy cycle once again towards the light, waiting for the heart to turn in its predictable and trustworthy return into light and understanding and into peace. This is Thomas Merton's prayer. My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end. Nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please me. And I hope I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust in you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone.
This is a contemporary translation of Psalm 121, also a recognition of the vastness, inscrutableness, hugeness, lawfulness of cosmic design, and the faith that comes from resting in that lawfulness. Look at nothing. Everything is revealed. Rest in the radiance of natural mind. The joy of your discovery will strengthen your dedication to unwavering mindfulness because the perfection of emptiness as the source of creation is always, always accessible. Whenever this is clear to you, wisdom and compassion will guide you. You will be safe. Your actions will be impeccable. Untroubled by fear and confusion, you will be peaceful and happy. of the Metta Sutta, <coughs> description of the refuge of the natural heart of peace. This is the work of those who are skilled and peaceful who seek the good. Maybe they be upright and able, straightforward of gentle speech and not proud. May they be content and easily supported unburdened, with their senses calmed. May they be wise, not arrogant, and without desire for the possessions of others. May they do nothing mean, or that the wise would reprove. May all beings be happy. May they live in safety and joy. All living beings, whether weak or strong, tall, stout, average or short, seen or unseen, near or distant, born or to be born, may they all be happy. Let no one deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none by anger or hatred wish to harm another. As a mother watches over her child, willing to risk her own life to protect her only child. So with a boundless heart, 
Did one cherish all living beings, suffusing the whole world with unobstructed loving kindness? Standing or walking, sitting or lying down, during all one's waking hours, may one remain, remain mindful of the heart and this way of living that is the best in the world. Unattached, unattached to speculations, to views, and to sense desires, with clear vision, such a person will never be reborn into the cycles of suffering. next few minutes I'd like you to just use this time of silence to reflect for a little bit on what the work of your own heart is in this time of moving into days of inwardness 
What's the work that your heart is doing in this internal part of the year? What's the light that's waiting to shine? What are the ways in which you let go without knowing? And wait, as T.S. Eliot says, wait without hope, because to hope might be to hope for the wrong thing. How do you wait in faith and trust without knowing the outcome? What supports you in the waiting? What nourishes your faith? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.